0: welcome 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 this is the distraction pieces podcast episode 321 how you all doing guys i hope you're all holding up okay thank you for all the love that the isolation drunk cast got um a lot of people saying it's the best drunk cast we've ever done and i've got to agree honestly i went in because we recorded it over zoom with Ramesh Ranganathan, Brett Goldstein, Chris Glasson and Stuart Wiffin and myself. But because it was over Zoom, I thought it might be missing something. We're only going to do two and a half, three hours because we're not all in a room together. So the usual four or five hours, it's not going to work. So I wanted to record it as something to help you guys in these weird times, give you some entertainment, but I honestly didn't expect it to go as well as it did. So yeah, I'm delighted with that, and before I get into this week's guest and podcast, this week's episode is with Tim Key, so obviously it's going to be one of the best I've ever done. But I wanted to give you a little update, because the two unexpected stars of the drunk cast, the isolation drunk cast, were Chris's mum, Jean Glasson, and um, and the protein mouse who has been living in my house and eating my protein powder. You can go and hear more about that on the Isolation Drunk Cast if you haven't already heard it. But um, I've not got any updates on Chris's mum. Tune into Hardcore Listing as they might have updates on her. But I have got updates on the protein mouse. So what I didn't get around to mentioning on on the Drunk Cast was... And this is going to be a bit of a long intro, but, you know, you've got fuck all else to do. So what I didn't mention on the Drunk Cast was... As soon as I found out about this mouse, I wanted to get some humane mouse traps because I wanted to catch him. I wanted to get rid of him because he's pooing places and eating stuff, and it's not healthy and safe, but I didn't want to kill him, but obviously we we're in 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 lockdown, so I went out and I went to three sh- shops near me, two of them are pet shops and were open still, and one's kind of a general shop, and they were open still, and none of them they all had deadly mouse traps or mouse poison or rat poison but but none of them had humane ones one of them had eight different versions of mouse traps that will kill the mouse, and not one humane one. I kind of thought you know you've got eight you could have not bought one of them because seven ways to kill a mouse is is enough, and you could have just slung in one you know if you want to keep it alive and be a bit nice to it, then here you go um but no. And the one shop that normally s- sells them in Coringham near me it was closed through their own ch- ch- choice. Because in my area, the council or the landlords or whomever have given no uh, rental br- 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 breaks. So a lot of the shops are open still because they need to because they can't afford to close, which is kind of appalling. But some have chosen to take a hit. And one was the place that sells the humane traps. So I couldn't get any. And I looked online, and online, for everything at the moment that isn't um, essential, there's long delivery times. So I ordered online and just thought, if I go to a big Tesco's or anything like that, which I'm trying not to do, I've got plenty, I've got frozen stuff, I'm trying to go to shops in general as infrequently as possible, um, in support of our NHS workers, of all the carers, of all the people who are having to go out, I'm just... Often, I'm not even having my daily walk. Um, I'm going in my garden. I'm lucky I've got a garden, so I'm literally not leaving my my little patch um, unless it's essential. Um, so I ordered a pack of three humane mouse traps, and they and they took a week or so, or so to come. I'd been scaring the mouse off because I've got these outdoors scary things anyway. So basically, they sense... Because we've got f- foxes around my way and they kept pooing in my garden, and I've got AstroTurf, so poo's harder to clean up um, on AstroTurf, weirdly. So I've got these things that sense if there's animals and puts out like a, 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 a subsonic beep kind of sound um, and you can program it to be for different size animals and different kinds of animals. So I've got, I had two in my garden. I brought one of them in and put it in the main cupboard the mouse had been hiding in and set it to mouse and that had kind of been keeping him away but I was aware he'd been about a little bit still so anyway I finally get these humane mouse traps. I put one in each of the cupboards that I had previously found droppings and he'd been eating my protein powder and I put one behind the sofa in the living room I put peanut butter in the ends of them uh, I come down after the first night not a thing can't see a thing can't see if he's been about I think maybe he's gone maybe that screechy thing scared him off or maybe his local g- gym's opened again so so he can go there to work out and get protein powder and then the second night the same thing not really much sign of him i'd i'd had a sleepless night because i kept thinking i could hear him upstairs and i kept thinking he was in my in my bedroom and he was going to climb on me and suffocate me or choke me out because of all the all the protein powder he's been eating but then the third night I came downstairs in the morning. I did did my usual. I checked the two cupboards, not a sign. I looked behind the sofa. We've got ourselves a little mouse. So yeah, I'd caught him, and my adrenaline early morning went through the roof. I was like, oh my god, he's there! Oh my god, that's him! That's the protein mouse. There was a few cracks in the in the humane mouse trap because he'd been been trying to punch his way out. Because he's very muscular, so I put my clothes on because I popped down in my pants to have a you know a check. I put my clothes on, and I picked it up and it was heavy because he's hench. So I had to use two hands, and I didn't want to just release him outside, obviously, because he'll come straight straight back in. So I took him on a little walk, and the poor thing was blooming a bit. Sh- he was a bit scared. That, that 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 might have been all the protein powder in him, but he was a bit scared. So I walked as as smoothly and as gently as possible and I walked a few m- minutes away to a, a load of grass on the other side of this big m- m- main road near me because I thought other side of a main road he won't cross that and come back to my house in the grass hopefully he'll be able to s- be safe and hide from predators and be able to get s- somewhere that he can live and you know it's not near too many houses so I thought I'm not just passing him on to to someone else it seemed like the best place to drop him off so I went there and I opened up the little uh, humane mouse trap. and he was nervous he didn't want to come out f- for a bit so I waited there trying to just allow him to calmly come out I didn't want to just throw him out the poor uh, uh, lad you know at, at the end of the day I've lived with this guy for a good few weeks he's he's my housemate so whilst it was time to move on I wanted him to move on you know nicely and have nice memories of me so yeah after a little while he scurried out to t- 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 the end of the mouse trap and gave a little sniff he looked around he thought it looks looks tough out here so he pulled himself up on the top of the mouse trap and did a few pull-ups just to get a pump on in case he meets anyone new he wants to look you know in good shape and then um he crawled out he turned around and s- saluted me um and did one of them things that s- surfers do and MMA people do where he closes his, his three middle fingers in and has his f- thumb and little finger out and kind of did a little E. S- see you around, homie. Um, and he went on his way, and I came home to a mouse-free house. So there we go. There's an update on Protein Mouse. He seems to be gone. I'm going to keep a couple of the humane mouse traps out for a few more nights in case he's got any pals only anyone that might want to come might come looking for him then I can catch them, release them in the same place so they can all go and hang out and that's the plan anyway, long intro this week's guest is Tim Key, and Tim Key is one of my favorite people and favorite comedians in the world. I just find him hilarious and it made this we recorded this pre pre lockdown pre corona and yeah, he's wonderful. I try not to just laugh constantly and and try to hold it down as a host um there's something he mentions at the end that i want to mention in the beginning now because on lockdown i've noticed a lot of people maybe listen for a certain amount of time and then plan to come back to it they might not come back to it but he's got these things out Uh, anyone who's seen tim key live will know he does his his hilarious poems slash jokes he reads them off playing cards in his pocket he's released these amazing Beautiful quality playing cards that have his poems printed on there. So so they're actual usable playing cards and have his work on there, and that's perfect for isolation. If you want to play solitaire, if you want to, if you if you're staying with your family and want to play any other card games, or just want to sit by candlelight on your own and read poetry, because everything's got a bit heavy. So I highly recommend them. I said we talk about it all in the podcast, and we talk about plenty. So I won't ramble on any more. Um, check out Pod Bible Magazine if you're looking for new podcasts. That there's a Pod Bible podcast and a Pod Bible magazine. In fact, tomorrow night, if you if you listen to this on Wednesday, Thursday night at seven pm, I will be on the Pod Bible Instagram, chatting with doing Instagram live with Jessie Ware of the Table Manners podcast and of obviously her amazing m- m- music. So yeah, check that out. Longest intro I've ever done. This is episode 321 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Tim Key. This piece of fiction is the intro of distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro of distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro of distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. of the intro to distraction. Pieces. main <laughs> <laughs> principle is Rudolph. Really
1: and we're rolling. Great, um, great news. Shall I do my Rudolph stuff again?
0: Yeah, on, if on you air. want. <laughs> yeah, no. I think it was, it's it's nice to keep something secret, isn't it? It's Something's quite good, though, private. It? Um, I'm here today with Tim Key. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's quite. I, I was realizing as I was prepping this podcast that prior to my podcast, um, when I was doing my DVD, I guess it was a rather arrogant birth of the podcast that I asked you to come and interview me yeah for my it's a strange DVD. way to stop it's really weird imagine is that, that, what, is that what we're doing now imagine that as a podcast though that you just get different people to interview you each week it seems like, so odd now yeah. that that's what I hit you i said would you mind I think you were much more arrogant then, me? I think, you weren't very nice I didn't, <laughs> no. I didn't love your vibe right. <laughs> horrendous but um before we get started because there is kind of a story on my arrogance as a youth that involves you but before we get to that I'd like to give you a gift okay fantastic which is inside my phone case okay great as it should be I've got you a gift actually yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) we'll come on to that what's that that's
0: right that's fantastic
1: that is fantastic (laughs) Is it the sort
0: of thing where I now have to say what it is so people? you do, do, do we leave it there? You're welcome to, yeah. So it's a, if you look on the back as well, it's a little um, wow. it's a little photo of you that's yeah. got your writing on yep. that says, if found, please return my phone, I think it says, and then yeah. there's your email address there. There it is. So this was in... It, where did you have to get this? <laughs> <laughs> it's proper weird, isn't it? I was talking to a friend of mine, Aaron, and he said, I found a picture of Tim Key once, and it had his email address on <laughs> And apparently, he may have tweeted you or something saying, you know, trying to make a joke of if you want it back, yeah. it's 50 quid or something like that. And that, didn't, that he, didn't work out. He has no memory of Or he, he did, feels that you probably didn't see it at all. And then mm. I said, Have you got it on you? And he went and found it. And I thought, I'd, uh... It's a bit worrying that he had it on him. <laughs> How long have you been carrying this around? Just in case. Has he got a wife? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite disturbing, isn't it? But I guess you used to keep that in your phone. That's why I popped it in my yeah, phone. I, think, well, I thought well, that that's must a safe place to carry
1: it. I must have kept it in my phone, and then if I lose my phone... <laughs> but the thing
0: is, I could, that could have just been a note. It didn't have to have my photo on it. Yeah, I you could have just had a note that says... But instead, you were very adamant of, you know, in case you recognise me other than... <laughs> That's interesting. His, uh, I like that era. It's a weird start, isn't it? It's, yeah, you've got a nice haircut. You're looking got well. A lovely haircut. Yeah, quite sullen. What do you reckon you had that photo taken for? Was that a passport? That's a passport. Well, yeah. look, at, look at the size group. Yeah. I mean, the size is a clue, <laughs> but it could be a driving licence. It could be a members club thing. Could be a poster. Snooker club? Yeah, snooker club, probably. Snooker yeah, club. Yeah, thinking probably. about it. Again. That would have been. <laughs> thinking about it. Looking at the it. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> That was definitely my sleeper, right? That would have for really <laughs> Yeah, there, there, there you go. I thought that's a rather unusual way to start the podcast. How can I start it any other way? We've- well, I mean, I'm not a podcaster myself,
1: but I would see, from your point of view, you've got to kick it off somehow.
0: Yeah, exactly. So
1: giving me a passport photo of myself yeah. from, I mean, what, what, what year would you put that at?
0: That's hard to say. That's 20 years. Do you reckon 20? I would have said 10 or 15, but maybe, you know... I'm I'm a flatterer. Uh, it's longer than that. He looks so optimistic. <laughs> he does. He looks so full He's of got life. the world at his feet. <clears throat> I mean, there's a there's a sorrow in the eyes.
1: Yeah, I know uh, these yeah, things. Know these I things mean. are all
0: comparative.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's less sorrow than now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's, it feels like you've lived a. F- you know, you've had ups and downs now, rather yeah. than simply downs yeah. you know, to that point. Yeah. You're hoping for ups so there was hope. There was hope. Yeah, I think th- the ups have lived up to what you, what that version of you were. Was, what,
1: what, was would, looking what, for?
0: what would he think? Do you, to, do you want to aim him at me and see what? What would he think looking at me?
1: Look at that impression. On the surface, I think he'd be quite happy with. Uh,
0: I think he'd think there's been some ups. Yeah, I think you'd agree. Yeah. Um so back to my arrogance. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah. The, I can't remember if I mentioned this when we did the, the interview, but the first time I heard of you, I was furious, potentially disgusted, because I'd been booked to do a spoken word gig. I was very serious about spoken word at the time at the Vibe Bar mm-hmm. in um, Brick Lane. Sure. And there was this. You're, com- still,
1: you're still serious about spoken word, aren't you? No, not no? at all. No, I, I think, think
0: it's quite ludicrous. Whoopsy <laughs> oh, Daisy. How many years do you waste on that? <laughs> quite a few. Um, <laughs> but, but there was this comedy poet headlining, oh, and yeah. I was like, "What the fuck?" Oh, this the fire is- bar? Yeah. Huh. And it was and it was you, and the 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 kind of the journey of that evening was quite an extreme one because by the end, I was your biggest fan, and I thought it was the best thing ever. I thought it was hilarious. It may have changed my seriousness about poetry, but um, yeah, I think it was quite early days. What were you, so, hang on, what were, you, what were you worried about? I just felt, and literally, I was unaware that you. That you <laughs> I guess I had a bit of humour in my poems, but it was all quite worthy and serious in the early days. Yeah, and I just thought, why is why are we? You know, yeah. everyone else on the bill is probably going to change the world. Yeah, and then we're all below yeah. this joker. Yeah. Um, the Joker in the pack. Yeah, yeah, but the Joker in the pack was was at the top. Yeah, funny, it was isn't at it? The top magic trick. They often are. <laughs> they often are when you get the pack. <laughs> it's easier to discard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ha- how was it? How did you find it? How in was those that night? No, no, no. How did you find it in those days? Because it was when the spoken word scene was starting to blow up, and it was very serious and yeah. political and worthy. And then y- you were there. And it was a cross between stand-up and, and poetry.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting, um, yeah, I'd forgotten about that era. Yeah. I did do, a, I tried to, trying to work out where I fitted in, to, yeah. took a little bit of time, and I it was quite stark. The, I remember the first two nights of doing it, just doing my poems. The first night was a spoken word night. I was going towards the address, and the closer I got, the less, the more residential it got. Right. And eventually I kind of, it was like 62, something. And they just was getting closer and closer, not seeing a pub or not seeing anything. And then got to 62 and it was just a house. Wow. And I went in and um, oh, man. it it's like something out of Peep Show. Yeah. You know, where they sort of get themselves into a bit of a pickle and they're suddenly doing yoga somewhere. Yeah. And I walked in and there was about 12 poets sat around on beanbags. Oh, sounds like hell. So then someone would get up and do a poem. And uh, I'd be listening to this poem and thinking, yeah, that's different from my stuff.
0: <laughs> Did they click their fingers? Come oh, right. When people what? would give a click of Are they clicking their fingers of at, instead of clapping? Yeah. It was a that's big a, thing in the spoken right. words. I never felt... I, I felt incredibly uncomfortable in the, the spoken word scene as well. Right, Even though right. I was doing more serious stuff, it still felt I didn't go to RADA or yeah. somewhere posh. I was just... I'd come from... Rap more yeah. than poetry. Similarly, that you were coming from a comedy angle more than a poetry angle. So yeah. there was... that. It could be... The reason it came to mind, didn't you, was it could be a really alienating scene and uncomfortable. You yeah. could feel like, fuck, I've got to get up and do mine now. Well, yeah, I was... Wa- done this. I was watching these people. There was a guy on who before me who um,
1: I later found out a friend of mine had studied him at university. So they were, like, quite serious people. Then I got up and did mine. I mean, I stopped... I, I, I started off with a poem about the Mr. Men, And I mean, I'm there was also, there was an interval which never helps when you're doing these things. Yeah, And I was on after the interval. So in the interval, I'm just looking at my stuff and just, you know, you, you want your stuff to be stuff where you're reading it thinking, good, looking forward to saying that. You yeah, don't want to look at it yeah. and think, yeah, I mean, that's not going to help at all. I've got this. Started reading it. And I remember these two ladies on a beanbag to my left looking at them and they just closed their eyes and not in a way that, they were sort of appreciating the the language of the poem. Yeah. They just wanted to just be somewhere else, I think. And I was doing some sort of physical comedy, like pulling out poems out of my pockets and then pulling out an A to Z out of my pockets. And, um, I mean, now I mention it, that doesn't sound that funny, but, I mean, it didn't go well in the room, <laughs> It's
0: not the room for it, is it? I was going to say, because <laughs> there's certain things there that you've kept in what you do, and it's... It was, was of these moments of it. It's, it's thriving off that awkwardness. Like I've, I've, I, I love that I've seen you in recent years, and you'll pull a poem out, and you will give a quick look and go, "No, that's not yeah. that's not for the for, for tonight." But because you're bringing that process onto the stage, yeah, it's amusing and part of it. Whereas if yeah. it's in an interval in someone's living room, that process probably... Yeah, exactly, that's
1: the problem. You're in someone's house. Yeah. Like, you know, there's that's, someone owns that house and you're the worst person that's ever been in it. Yeah, 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 and they've booked you. They've invited you in like a <laughs> yeah, vampire. Yeah,
0: they haven't paid. That's <laughs> the, one,
1: <laughs> the one saving grace.
0: It's not too much
1: But gig. I also had some Soviet lounge music playing and I would imagine, because everything was sort of from a very early stage. My act, there's sort of um, building blocks of it, which... Yeah. I, are the same now as when it started. So I always had a can of Cronenberg that I'd open, um, Soviet lounge music, a sort of dishevelled suit and tie. I think I probably would have spent the first minute doing my tie up and then readjusting my shirt in my trousers. And, um, you know, bless my little heart, if that's like 70 people watching and everyone's like really into it, that's quite, you know, people quite enjoy all that stuff. Yeah. But if you've got 12 people and uh, they're just thinking this guy shouldn't be here, then um, the sort of slow protracted stuff at the top doesn't really quite fly. Yeah. They want you to get into the poetry and then when you start getting into it, they think, well, careful what you wish for. Yeah. And then, <laughs>
0: Let's get back. That tie's not quite straight. Yeah, they need you to, <laughs> get back to leave that. and then walk for 20 minutes to Manor House Tube. Yeah. And get home. Yeah. I... I- have always DJ'd in a rubber lizard mask, which oh, yeah. is a similar, Famously, yeah. obviously, which is a similar one. It's great in a in a busy room. Yeah, yeah it's I, fantastic. I, I did one. Yeah, in- I, yeah I've, I've, my rubber <laughs> lizard mask stuff goes fantastic with <laughs> did, a fair wind. I I did a gig in Birmingham once, and literally there was about ten people in the room, and the other DJ is finishing, and I'm having a similar thing. Looking in my bag, going. Well, do I put the mask on or not? Yeah. I, I feel I have to, because that's what I always do, but it, yeah. I feel ludicrous in a rubber lizard mask with 15 people in the room. I think so. When you have a fragile,
1: um, sort of breakable act, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that your lizard stuff uh, wasn't killing
0: it, but <laughs> I remember no, that, it's, it's completely yeah. a defence mechanism. It is. Yeah. It's that I can have a lizard mask that is, I'm hiding behind something. Yeah. Similarly, if you can ease into your beginning yeah. by... Reveling in the awkwardness, yeah. Then that's a similar. Well, it also kills a couple of minutes. Bl- yeah, exactly. But it's a similar kind of safety <laughs> blanket in yeah. the respect of going right. Let's just. Brian Gittins always comes to mind. In, in that, if he he's written a character that's worse, the worst character that, that, that David Earl as a person could have written, because if he nails it, it's kind of awkward and people don't know if any of it was intentional. Mm. And then he comes off stage and apologises to everyone who booked him and everyone involved. But it's a similar thing there. If you're if you're choosing, if you can write something where you can revel in those awkward moments, it allows you to not be scared of them. Well, you know I mean.
1: yeah, he's a good example because you look at him and he is, <clears throat> you know, one of the the very best. I mean, yeah. like, he's hilarious. Yeah. And I suppose, like uh, knowing David a bit, so we've talked about stuff, so you know that there's stuff, there's times where it doesn't go well, but... I guess that's why it's so good that it is. There's uh, there's some jeopardy there. Yeah. So when you see it, and people are losing their shit because it's so funny and they don't know why they're laughing, that's the that's that's what he's earned. Yeah. By presenting them with presenting an act which can uh, be quite um, problematic for (laughs) for himself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know
1: all of those kind of all of those. you know, miserable drives home that uh, yeah. that he's probably had on on nights where it hasn't gone well, they, uh, they're worth it because he's he's got an act which is, you know, which people will talk about, you know, for 30 or 40 years yeah. as being like, you know, when, when everyone says, who, who did you watch when you were, you know, when you were growing up, Yeah, a lot of people who've watched live comedy will go straight to him as yeah. their favourite, he's probably a... a a large percentage of people who watch comedy's
0: favourite comedian. Yeah, completely. But, but you must have had a similar thing then when you were finding where you belonged. Yeah, because it's something that, that 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 Rob Alton went through. I found him at poetry gigs, and I was like, "What's he doing here? He should be doing." And then he's gone into <laughs> success what... at the fringe <coughs> and found that it is comedy. But the, the, then equally, if he gets booked to do as he <laughs> as happened recently, a Friday night in South End. Mm-hmm his kind of comedy might not work too well on a Friday night in Southend for people so who've just come for comedy. Hang and on a minute. Did it work well? It didn't. It went horribly. He said. <laughs> he said it was one of his worst gigs. He was delighted because my mum popped along, but he said it was a struggle. Yeah, that always helps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's very supportive. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, I, I agree. I,
1: I mean, finding where you fit in is, is quite, um, I remember the second part of that story is that the next night I did my second gig of this uh of that act and that was in a that was in a comedy place yeah in new cross uh called happy mondays and uh that was uh the headliner was russell brand and i can't remember who else was on but i went on and did my stuff and uh well you know let's just say that Going home from that one, I was thinking, right? Okay, well, we can rule out a comedy setting as well now. Right, okay. <laughs> I was running out of options.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, did you know what you were at that point? Because hearing you on Buxton on Adam Buxton's podcast, which is one of my favourite bits of podcasting, it was one that was like a sponsored thing. So you had to walk around an art gallery, but it made it perfect because it made. It meant he couldn't be as structured as he might normally be because you're walking around. Yeah, we're and, having a look around, yeah. And, and, and having a watch. But um, hearing on that, you were influenced by, like, was it a Russian poet? Yeah, I was actually, yeah. So, so so there is... There will have been that question of in yourself, mm. in am I high art that will be appreciated by spoken word crowds or yeah. am I comedy that's meant to be awkward and bumbling? Did you have that in yourself when you were... Figuring it out. did you always think, I want this to be funny, I want it to
1: be silly, or...? Uh, Well, no, I kind of... After after those two days, which were admittedly difficult days, I think I then started to do it in... There was still a mixture happening, but I think I was working out how to place it in a poetry setting, or I was enjoying it more. Maybe I was more relaxed. Yeah. I mean, that gig was weird, so... Anything after that, I don't
0: think I've ever done a gig quite that weird. Yeah,
1: exactly. They're on beanbags.
0: Yeah. Scroobius. I, I, I generally, <laughs> I started off performing on street corners, yeah. and people don't want it. Turns out, there's a lot of people in town centres, yeah. but they don't want to hear poetry or rap, so that I had exactly fly, the it? same, that as soon as I was in a venue where they actually want to Being in a venue where they want to see something is really handy.
1: And I think quite soon after that, I started performing in... Like the, do you know the
0: Albany? In, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, great place for <clears throat> for stuff that's pushing the boundaries in Deptford. It's always been a really ah, good. Funny enough, no, Great no. Portland Street. Oh, right, a different Albany story.
1: Yeah, I once had to do an interview, like, um, and we we decided we'd do it where I did my first gigs and stuff. Right. And, yeah, they were waiting for me in um, in Deptford. <laughs> Deptford. Yeah. yeah, they were waiting, they were waiting down there. <laughs> so the other Albany then. So the other Albany, which Join. is um, downstairs below a pub, and it's right. like about a maybe about a 50 seater yeah which is insane because when i remember it because i was just starting out it was like a sea of people and you know yeah. it was a proper gig yeah so i would have estimated it as like <clears throat> close to 150, 200 people but i don't think so it's like 50 people and it's down there and i feel like i wasn't on any kind of a circuit or anything like that i just weirdly played that place a lot and all right. these different nights were on, and I was resident poet on different people's nights. Right. So I'd be in there, you know, three or four times a week, quite a lot, and that, allied to the fact that I was never being paid to do it, meant that you really could work out how to do it and learn. Yeah. And 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 so it was, it was zero pressure. No one having a clue who I was, obviously. So I'd sort of shuffle on, and. It was t- it was a sort of very similar act to what I do now, but a totally different dynamic, as in, I get brought on now and some people in the audience know who I am and stuff and I'm, like, obviously a bit later in the bill and things. There, you're just a sort of secret person. Yeah. And you go on and if you if you want to divide the audience, then you sort of can. Yeah. And you can sort of, I don't know, there's, there's something I look back on it and I kind of really... I'm glad I went through those those years of working out how to do it, but also I'm sort of quite envious of that person who's going on on those stages. Yeah, it's probably more nervous then and stuff like that. But you, I was def I definitely took more risks. Yeah, in terms of it would be different stuff every single time. Yeah, and I would write stuff for the night, and I started writing stuff that wasn't poetry, like I used to write recipes and things like that. <laughs> then I started to write directions and methods and um, descriptions of Photographs and things like that, and I just remember go, d- going on and doing that, and starting to to, to say, right, here's some directions, and uh, I'd go one, take turn left, and I would be on stage knowing that I um, that it was sort of quite an, an impudent kind of act. It was like uh, it it wasn't proper it wasn't proper jokes it was like you know if when people accuse you of saying come on just write something proper yeah it wasn't but I was finding it funny and I was trying not to laugh and people in the audience were finding it funny and so you just have this really nice contract yeah which you know I whenever I watch someone is with Gittins you see the same thing where you're like you, you like it because people are laughing in spite of themselves and people are laughing and looking at the person next to them and sort of going, I don't understand what's going on quite. Yeah. And I didn't know what, what exactly what I was writing, but I remember writing it in the day and just sort of smiling and thinking, that's quite funny. In, in a way that now, I don't do any of those things now. I do poetry yeah. and I talk in between and stuff like that. But there was sort of a period where it was kind of quite, um, it was quite avant-garde and quite sort of, I don't know, There's uh, I sort of cherish that period Yeah. of, you know, just doing really stupid stuff and reaping the rewards of it being so, you know, so ridiculous.
0: Yeah, well, that must have been the first time that you kind of found what your your v- voice was at such, and that sounds awfully <coughs> pretentious, but um, Gittins, again, this isn't a podcast about Gittins, but he's a prime he's example. He's that, isn't he's, it? he's found that character that I could w- watch him read the phone book, and I'd laugh. Partridge is another example. Mm. You literally... And the album that, that you did with... Was it with Tom Basden? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to listen to that constantly and I loved the poems, but just all of the talk in between was you'd found this tone and voice that just, yeah, anything you'd say, anything, throw away lines, um, not your scene. There was a bit where you just kept asking, is not your scene, is it? Is it not yours? And just Mm. just the little phrases and everything (coughs) would be hilarious and they're the bits you're laughing at. So was that that period then that the excitement was that you could experiment and go right I don't know why this is funny but I know that the way it's going across is making me laugh and making the audience laugh yeah I I yeah
1: it's totally that it's like a lot of poems or a lot of stuff where there isn't really anything discernibly a joke yeah but it is it's making me laugh you know writing it I'm it's I guess it's kind of like um you know, if someone's quite good at art and they can do a canvas or something like that, yeah. But also, you just sort of look across at them while they're on the phone, and they're doodling, and you just sort of think, that's amazing. Yeah. And I kind of feel like um, I find it quite difficult to write long scripts and stuff like that—the stuff where you have to like scratch your head and you know procrastinate and mm. go back to it and stuff like that. But I am lucky; I do have a, you know, a little way with work with words. I, I like words and I like like tinkering away. So I guess that's how the poems first came about—is you just. I mean, none of the poems that I've written have taken more than a minute to write. And so these things will be just... They're dashed off, and so they feel like maybe there is an element of that in the moment, that they feel dashed off, and they feel like someone is not really... Someone's not doing it properly. Yeah. Someone, someone has not put the time in. Yeah. But it was... Yeah, for me, it was like a real... Um, <laughs> it was a kind of a, uh, a relief and a kind of salve, because I'd done... Stand up before about two years before that, and uh, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, it was right. dismal stuff, really. Yeah, I did it 10 times, and uh, I once it went quite well. I think God knows how well. I mean, looking back at it, I would yeah. imagine probably not great, yeah, yeah. And then, but even I'd then, about, one in 10 yeah, is yeah about, not a great about, yeah, about five times, yeah, you know, not not great, probably, yeah. And then that leaves four, I'd say, one of them. Really bad, and then the other three just you know, dismal old stuff, yeah. And I and I'd do it with um, a, a lot of them, I did with Mark Watson because we started at the same time, yes. It's quite a stark, stark situation, you know. We'd be in Barry St. Edmunds, and uh, Mark would just be like, he was fully formed, you know, sort of you know, hatched as a sort of perfect, kind of beautifully coiffured peacock, and he'd yeah. be on stage doing his five minutes of stand-up in these competitions and things, he was already kind of... He had an angle. He was Welsh at the time. And uh, <laughs> people would just love it. And I was like, Mark's mate. And I'd be like, that's fantastic. Then I'd go on, and it's totally different from the poetry, where with the poetry, you know, I'm looking at all these poems, and it doesn't really matter what... You know, particularly in that era, in, uh, yeah. like in two thousand, whenever six or something, I'd be like, just grab some poems, go on. And it was all very carefree. But this bit, which is about 2002, I would have like an A4, two A4 bits of paper and it was all typed out and it was like word for word and, uh, you know, it makes me, you know, qu- qu- i am probably gone pale thinking about it. <laughs> I remember being in cafes, you know, near the, the venue and I'd get to the cafe at about five and I'd just be like learning it, like for an audition. Right. And then I'd go there And I'd be introduced and I'd walk on. It was just so unnatural. Everything was like... Where everything became very natural and very... I'd feel very at home on stage and it's like a nice place to be. This would be me. More or less I was dying, actually, from the start. Yeah. I'd do my little jokes and people would be like, so what? Me included. I'd be like, well, you know, I totally agree. Yeah. It's just a stupid joke. And then I'd sort of finish with the, the bit at the end, which was like, you know, item 10 on my agenda. <laughs> and uh, I'd leave. And right, then, that's us done. <laughs> yeah, me and Mark would uh, reconvene outside the venue. And uh, people would be coming up to Mark and giving him their business cards and saying, I run a gig here. And, you know, some people would come up to Mark and say, you're so funny. And I'd just sort of be standing there, you know, as if I'm literally a character in a film about stand-up comedy, where yeah, I'm that guy. And I, I, you know, I stopped after about 10. So it was a real relief when I started doing it again and realised, although obviously some went well and some went less well, I, I definitely had my thing. Yeah. And I was very kind of, um, still am, just very grateful that it's such a weird thing and it's so kind of, you know, doesn't really fit in anywhere. Yeah. But all that, all of those questions you're asking me about how does it all, yeah. you know, did it was that difficult finding where it fitted in? No, that was that was the least of my worries. I had yeah. something that fitted imperfectly into comedy about three years before, but it was shit.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> well, it fitted like a glove. Well, that's what's kind of interesting. <coughs> kind of looking at it from the outside, hearing that the beauty of the poetry is you've almost got a, a safety net. Of the joke is even just to yourself. I spent less than a minute writing this mm. and I've got the audacity to get up, up on stage yeah. and perform it to people compared to how you previously had it where you'd slaved over it and learnt it word for word. Yeah. The fact that you're going up essentially with a pocket full of stuff that took a minute each. I'm going out there with a load of old crap. Yeah. And, uh,
1: and each... So that becomes <coughs> the
0: joke in itself. Well, so then even if it, it, it doesn't joke, hit...
1: It, I think it was the joke more then. Like yeah. now, I'm like... Uh, yeah, I reckon uh, as it's evolved, if I'm doing like a set somewhere... I take, by and large, I take poems that are like, you know, generally I, I, f- I have faith in. Yeah. But I think when I started, I was much more, I'd take a bunch of these poems and I'm reading these poems out to the audience and I'm, I'm with them. Yeah. So I'll start reading this poem and I'll read a couple of lines and then sort of... <laughs> You know, i will be a bit, <laughs> bit exasperated. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's as if, like, someone, you know, how the how the hell have I ended... Like, all these other guys who are on the bill yeah. have been sent some really nice stuff to do, and I've been sent some absolute feces here. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm sort of making the best of it. But I'm going, you know, I'm slightly laying into it and stuff, and I'm showing people the cards and things like that. It definitely takes the... Um, yeah, it definitely takes the edge off, and it means you sort of have... Yeah, you've you've got at least two or three get out of jail free cards from just the the very kind of the the sort of concept of the act It yeah. just provides you with a few loopholes to you know stay alive on stage.
0: And again it's interesting because it sounds like you've could cr- just created the exact opposite of what went horribly wrong in the fact that that was a rigid Inc- including set. having if, to remember If it starts things. going bad, you know you've got nowhere to go because you've memorized it. It oh, doesn't yeah, ma- oh, it yeah. doesn't matter what their reaction is, you've oh, just yeah. got to get through it. Absolutely. Whereas with the way you do your show now, it feels like every night it'll be in different orders and different. Like you don't know what you're going to get. There will be, particularly with the fringe shows, I'd imagine there will be a planned structure and this oh, and that. Totally. But the poetry parts will be scattered about in different orders in different times. And
1: yeah, the, the that's definitely a slightly different thing. That the the you know the hour shows they're yeah. like when they f- when they're finished they they've got like a real s- sort of structure to them to and there's yeah. sometimes like a. There's sometimes there's definitely freedom in them to like do do different things, but yeah, they they sort of know what they are, but it's a different type of freedom to this two two sides of a four where uh, I'm dying on my ass and then I'm sort of thinking, right, well this is a problem, and in a minute I've got to do an impression of David Beckham. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, 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 it's it's interesting different people's perceptions at different time because exactly what you said about Mark then, yeah. when I had Alex Horn on, we were both discussing you in that way, that it seemed that you appeared fully formed with this thing that couldn't fail, that you go out there and even if it's not your best gig, it will be one of the best yeah. on the lineup. <clears throat> I feel like... Yeah, I feel like it's pretty easy to look at people and think
1: that their, their got stuff is out. bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when you're actually the person, and a lot of people are, then... It's you, you sort of know how bulletproof it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's pretty bulletproof, but I think yeah, sometimes you sort of can get shot, and um, there is not a bit of armor there. Yeah, <clears throat> C- can and that we- can and that can happen at any time. You know, I, I think that that really sort of hit home a few years ago, where you just and it's actually quite a useful thing to know. I think is that uh, it's never bullet, it's never bulletproof. Yeah, you know, you are only as good as your last gig. Yeah, and I think you need to be, you know. I think you need to be aware of that because otherwise you're – I don't know. I mean, I sort of disagree with myself because I think there's something quite nice about being complacent and being very comfortable in it and all of that. Yeah. And just – and I'm sure there are people who just, you know, walk on air to their gigs and are like, yeah. fine, and then just do it. And, But I don't know. I think you'd be surprised. I think even those people – also their um, standards are very high. And so, you know, just being slightly off is something that means – they're not walking on air on the way home, you know, you yeah. want it to be like, you want it to be perfect, or you want it yeah. to, to be something where the audience are, you know, palpably loving what what you've done. Yeah, and it can't always be.
0: Can't ever be. It <laughs> can, can really be. Um, but, <laughs> it's going to love it. But So I feel there's something as well in that confidence or drive to just keep doing, or keep trying to to figure it out, there was a story. It, it, it feels like I'm giving the highlights of Tim Key's podcast career, but there was a story on Comcom on Comcom Pod where you talked about how you blagged your way into the footlights, oh, sure, yeah. and 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 <clears throat> that was kind of like that. That there must have been an innate confidence and determination to do things like that to go. Mm. How do you? I don't know what was happening then. Be, I think be, that's because just... you weren't at
1: that's just youth, like, that's yeah. just, you're young, and, you know, you, well, yeah, I mean, what what happened was I was living in Cambridge, n- Cambridgeshire, and I'd finished university, and then, yeah, I think I just decided I wanted to do one more play, really, Yeah. because uh, I didn't do one in my last year at university, and I quite liked I was getting quite into it, I quite liked it, Yeah. but, um, I was uh, going to be in Wind in the Willows, and, uh, I phoned my best friend and said, what do you think? Should I do this? And uh, he said, what's the part? And I said, rat. And he said, yeah, well, I mean, if you want to put your degree on the line to wear a cricket sweater and a tail, then do it. <laughs> and uh, that really hammered it home that, that I shouldn't would. be rat. Yeah. So I wasn't rat. And so that meant, <laughs> I think if I'd been rat, that might have done it. I think I might have thought, ah, good. I had a great time. Yeah, university did this. Did this one last thing, you know? Had a, had a, a great cast party, and uh, you know, maybe at some point I'll come across another play or do something. You know, when I'm a bit older, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think I just had this sort of, um, you know, nagging thing where I thought I want to do one now and then do my career yeah. or whatever, and so I auditioned for. Some stuff in, in Cambridge, and I thought I'd do a student thing because it was a bit less kind of amateur dramatics felt like sort of like bits of old, yeah, yeah. And so I did this, I got into this play, and then I also got into this pantomime, Footlights pantomime, which Alex Horn had written. And uh, yeah, t- to get into both of them, I pretended I was at Cambridge, <laughs> but I think it was like a moment, just a tiny moment in time where you're just like, right, okay, Fuck I want to do that, yeah. Uh, and I'd studied in Sheffield, and I thought, well, if someone wanted to do that, they'd have to stay there at Sheffield. It didn't feel like a big stretch. Yeah. And then, as it sort of evolved and became, and I got into more and more stuff, then got into the actual show that goes to Edinburgh. Then it became, I guess, there was sort of more felt there was more weight on it and more jeopardy. Yeah. But I don't think it has much to do with anything else I did. It was just like at the start, just the sort of feeling of youth and feeling of why not and also I think I was to be fair like I don't know there was uh, maybe there was a, sort of a, a fun kind of romance about it that you just mm. sort of you know I just was living in, I was just I was temping at the time yeah. it was sort of a sort of an exciting sort of prospect to just do a bit of that on the side yeah but I was lucky that I was living in Cambridge and not living more or less anywhere else because it wouldn't have really made any difference if I was anywhere else I'd have just you know quietly done one more play and wherever
0: you would have been right yeah you would i'd have been right yeah yeah what i'd what
1: have been searching for wind in the willows ever since <laughs> but um yeah no i don't know it was just sort of a,
0: a fun moment but a very a very lucky useful moment i love it you so t- two things we've touched upon here that i think are relevant to where you are now or are something i'm curious about now is we touched upon the potential comfort of cruising along in your lane. Um mm. and I think as a comedian you've certainly got the plaudits and 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 the fan base to continue at, at a good level but then there've also talks about a passion for acting and a passion mm. for for theater. How do you balance the two to motivate yourself to go for act because I I think acting roles and writing as well in everything in that world can be so damning and heartbreaking and full of rejection so at times it might be easier to go let's do another tour or let's do this or let's play these gigs and forget about that but you seem to to go between the two with with success like from the outside with great success i know in acting there's always a behind the scenes list Mm. of things you wanted to get and didn't get or tried or whatever else or tried to get made and so on and so forth
1: yeah Well, there's a couple of things there. I do think that um, I don't. I don't really think there's a sort of uh, for me anyway. I'm not so sure there's a sort of comfort zone available. As in, when you said to like, you know, you could just sort of make another show and all of that. Like, it's it's interesting. Whatever, unless you don't do anything, that's I guess that's a slightly easier thing. Yeah. But I think everything's quite difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and everything has its own. Everything has its own problems. So, to do another live show, that's a, I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Every time I do a live show,
0: I, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. I feel and is that because of the successes of previous ones? Because you won the fringe, and you've done it, it. When I the year I did the fringe, it was kind of well. Tim's Tim's done a few shows. He's everyone at the fringe. You, your shows always really good turnouts at the Fringe, always really good reception. But with that comes a pressure, right? Well, if if yeah. you've got a reputation as a guy who smashes it with these shows, then you've got well, to go and do that. I feel like there's always...
1: Yeah, I, you've, it's, it, I guess it just depends how much pressure you put on yourself. I remember doing the year... The, the Two years after I did that show, where I won the award, I did another show, and... um. I was really proud of that show, but I'm very like I do remember that that first night in Edinburgh, where you know I'm very lucky like like you say people come to watch the show, and I I re- I'm, I feel like uh, particularly lucky that I have a, a very nice audience I think who are fun and have come and watched a lot of the other shows and stuff. So there was like a real excitement in the in that room, and I remember doing that show and it just being. It's a bit technical and it wasn't quite right. And I remember walking back through town and uh, there was a, a, a headline on the in the Scotsman, I think, or the Edinburgh Evening News, that said... And there's the list that had a big picture of my face. And it said... I don't know how they got this wording, but the wording was, is this really the funniest person in Edinburgh? I don't know why they'd put really... I, uh, I mean, I guess there was sort of, there was some conjecture, but that was literally, there must've been like an article inside about, about me. I did an interview or something. And, um, but anyway, when it all distilled down, there were these like things outside news agents that had a big photo of my face and I'm, the gig didn't go well. So I'm yeah. not, I didn't go out. Yeah, I just walked back through town, lived quite a way away from the center. Yeah. So I had about 45 minutes. So I must've walked past about five of these things. And, uh, That's
0: heartbreaking.
1: I just best. kept on walking. P- yeah, I just yeah. I thought I thought the gig wasn't bad. You know, it just wasn't. I hadn't got it. I hadn't got it sorted out. But yeah, every ten minutes I'm walking past something that says, "Is this really the funniest guy in Edinburgh?" And I'm looking at. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure like a couple of them. I just stood in front of them and just sort of squared up to them. <laughs> it's like, let's see. <laughs> I haven't said I am. Come on. Yeah, that's um, such a but weird
0: yeah. Thing to have that again. It's it's a huge pressure on it. it. As as exactly as you said about from the outside looking at people being bulletproof. Yeah. Equally from the outside looking at someone going, oh, he smashes it at the fringe. It's like well, yeah. there's different pressures and, and there's, lots there's different of people things who do there. it and and you know go, who go
1: back again and again and. Um, you know, just make a show, or show after show after show. And I've done, I've made quite a few, but, like, um, yeah, when you look at s- someone like James Acaster, who just kept every year, bam, 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 yeah. and every one, like, getting better than the one before. And, um, yeah, it, you can look at it as... Um, that you, you can sort of envious, enviously watch on and think, well, that's a lucky guy. I mean, he seems to have got everything sorted out. But I'm pretty sure that each time he's going back to the cold face thinking... Maybe he has a different way of looking at life. I'm I'm looking at it thinking, this is the one where I'm getting found out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's quite difficult. And you sort of, there's a logic there where you sort of can look at it properly and go, "Ah, but I did do this one and then that one was better than that. And then that one, you can sort of think, I am getting better. But I think it's perfectly, it's probably quite a normal piece of human nature where you think, that um, your next one will be the one where you, you were a fraud all along, and somehow you've managed to sort of stave it off. Yeah, and this is the this is the actual show that's actually what you what you're made of. Yeah, and this one is not so good. Yeah,
0: it's it's fascinating as well because it's always as we've said, it's looking at the other people on uh, uh, when James Acaster was on Rich Wilson's podcast, he was talking about. His feeling, exactly as you said, of imposter syndrome, a feeling, I've fluked Mm. these first ones, it's all going to be found out.
1: Oh, so I got it right. You got it exactly right on James. But
0: then he got a phone call from Rob Beckett just to say, you know, I'm struggling with the gigs at the moment. And again, he was like... I've looked at Rob Beckett, and you thought, well, he must go out there, and it's water off a duck's back. It's Rob Beckett, it's easy and calm, but yeah. literally everyone is having that, oh, it didn't Can't really work tonight. Everyone. There must be someone. Why do you all keep doing it? It must be... Just, yeah, that's I That's confusing, but... But anyway, that was
1: just me picking you up on a small point where you said you can just sort of keep on yeah. bumping out your shows and... No, no, it's I really fi- interesting. But, but
0: I find that quite difficult. I mean... <clears throat> well, that's it. I guess it's, there's, it's the difference between a show and a gig. Yeah. so you could go and do a lot of you know headline gigs at comedy clubs kind of thing that yeah. that that don't have the same pressure of here's my show here's the yeah. cuz your shows you do often put in a real artistic part of it i i i think it's beautifully juxtaposed between a man in a ragged suit holding a beer, who was there as you walked in. So there's that real break of this isn't the performer, this is just the person. Yeah. And then there will be something like when you had the bath and when you have all these different things that make this real, uh, brings it into art. So, uh, see, I guess I kind of put that, because obviously with a show like that, you've got to come up with everything. Yeah, whereas... no, but, I, but yeah, the problem you've got
1: really and it's a slight problem is that there's no um there's no answer to it. Yeah, yeah, there really <laughs> Because is. So. what you can do is uh <laughs> yeah. what I've done in the last few couple of months like since uh, since Christmas I decided to like uh just take a step back a little bit and do less stuff. Um just for a couple of months. But um what you find then is uh it's not fulfilling. Yeah. And unfortunately, although it's annoying, it's I think quite a risk reward uh, world our one yeah yeah where you know the only reason that 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 show that you just talked about with the bath and you have like fond memories of the of that show is um yeah that wouldn't have existed if I was chicken and decided that I couldn't really do it yeah and so you have to sort of be you have to put yourself on the line and that's you know that's quite difficult yeah and then I suppose what you have to do is just trust it to... And I think I'm okay at doing this, is trust it to luck and to to, to the gods that it will sort itself out. And you sort of can't... You can't wait for that alchemy to sort of happen. But I always find that the harder you work on something, the more you're given something back by the fates. Yeah. If you just sit around waiting for your show to, you know, piece itself together, it, it won't. But yeah. if you're staring at a brick wall trying even if you're just like getting nothing done all day but making sacrifices and you know you're not going to meet people for lunch because you're sort of thinking no i need to think about my show at some point something just fixes yeah. and although that is absolutely i understand complete gobbledygook no I, I, but, I, I, but i do feel that that is what's happening is if if you're l- living it and putting your yeah putting yourself on the line and and trying to make it work, then I think somehow, somewhere, a, a hand kind of comes in and just helps just push it into the right order in a way. I
0: completely agree. And I don't think it's it's, it's gobbledygook. I had, like, when I had a script to, to write a while ago, I booked myself, like, four days away in Sh- Sheffield. I didn't let anyone know where Genuinely I was. Genuinely thought you were going to say Shanghai. No, no, it? in Sheffield. Quite, <laughs> slightly different. Um... I'm glad you thought Shanghai. I'm flattered. <laughs> but it was was a compliment. <laughs> no, I'm taking it as a compliment. I'm taking it home with me. But um, I booked myself this, and I spent three days not getting anything written at all. But I didn't hit mates up and go and hang out or whatever else. But the next week, when I was back in Essex, oh, what do you think I was going to say then? Oh, so that's what Essex Okay, okay yep. fair enough. Um, so when I was back in Essex... I wrote the whole thing in, in in the brief moments I'd got, but it, yeah. it felt like it was, if I'd looked at those three days as wasted or a failure because I'd gone there to write and I, I literally, I wrote maybe half a page of this script. Yeah. I walked around a lot. I thought a lot, but I didn't get anywhere. Those hours I got in Essex that got the whole thing done wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had those totally. three days. And if I'd looked at them as, well... I blew all this stuff out, I didn't go to this gig, I didn't do this, but and I didn't get anything done. Yeah. It's too much pr- pressure on yourself if you have to have that yeah. pay off every time. Uh,
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah, but it's pretty lonely stuff, you know, when yeah. you're... The times where you spend the whole day just staring at it, and then... like particular, I always find, like, doing, like... If you're trying to write something for, I don't know, telly or, or film or something, the amount of days where you just stare at it, you move a few things about, and then at the end you just sort of you find yourself casting it again and you sort of think, but oh, fantastic. Like that's, that's, that's the easy part. Yeah. I haven't written anything yet, yeah. but I'm thinking yeah. I'll put Sally Hawkins in it. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly a breakthrough. <laughs> it's the fun
0: bits. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, it'd be good for this. Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little known guy, Al Pacino. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the difficult stuff. I mean, I think, I think what you need is, uh, in order to kind of get it moving again, is deadlines are always quite useful, I think. Yeah, but quite frightening. But I think that's what it is. It's sort of going. At some point, you can take the pressure off, and you can sort of go, "Okay, I am not gonna do anything until then." And you can sort of say, "Yeah, I am gonna do this in my own time," and then work out how it's how it's gonna be, and then go and find someone and say, "I've finished this thing. What do you think about it?" But actually, that probably isn't gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, what you need to do is say, "Is is say, can you please?" give me a deadline, which is why often you go, it's quite a, it's a, um, it's a definite thing about Edinburgh, you have a deadline. Yeah. You just have, uh, and I've I've done it a few times where I've, you know, said, okay, I'll do Edinburgh and then uh, tried to pull out of Edinburgh (laughs) and just have these sort of um, agent figures just kind of working out how to kind of cajole me into... um, not making that decision, yeah, yeah yeah, because they have faith that you can pull it together, yeah, but once you're in and once you haven't pulled out, then you're staring down the barrel of the fourth of August, and uh, actually even saying that now, my hand is like sweaty, yeah because you know you then have this it's coming, and you You've don't have to find it you have to because otherwise you're going to have a um, difficult month. Yeah. And you don't really want that. So you sort of then, yeah, all all systems go. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I have that with that. and I I write a radio show and I have a deadline with that. And those two things really, you know, that's meant that I've written a lot of Edinburgh shows and I've written a lot of um, this radio show because it's constantly there's something coming towards
0: me. Yeah. Which isn't very nice. No, you've not got a... a a choice in that so how how do you find it when it's not stuff that you've created then when when you are acting and when you're becoming part of something obviously we need to talk at some point about partridge because well, we do actually
1: but i I'm, think what i'm going to do is get a pint of water go ahead one
0: second do you want do you any more no i'm all good thank okay, you i'll just think about partridge for a bit yeah. hello back in the room hello again while while you're out the room i was having a look around were, we're in your office and gotta say someone's a tim key fan some, 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 <laughs> some lovely posters. <laughs> yeah, good point, actually, yeah. But there's two blank ones. Is that for, for that's future, the future shows? Yeah. That's for plans, that's for shows to come. Is that an intentional thing? Because all joking aside, like I, I was with B. Dolan and Sage Francis once, and B. Dolan, in, as, as many people in their working area, they've got tour posters, yeah. and Sage just looked around and said... Someone's a B. Dolan fan, and it was my favourite thing ever. But that's fantastic. But the two blank I'm frames. I'm keeping my
1: cool here. I'm, I'm not. I'm making out like I know who B. Dolan is. You carry yeah, on. It's
0: cool. <laughs> um, the two blank frames. It does seem like a, it's not that an intentional like, thing. Yeah, it's not just that I like habitat. Yeah, yeah. Is is that another bit of motivation to kind of be like, right? What's is this the um, next show? Well, you know, I think when I was putting those
1: posters up, I think rather than leave the gaps. <sighs> I feel like... Yeah, that is... I think there's one that can go in there. I think there's a show that could go in that poster there. But I feel like there is a sort of next... The there's a next... The next, next, Yeah, next show type vibe about that one. Could be.
0: I like it. I like yeah. it.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, you, you can't tell what the future holds, can you? It might end up that um, my career winds up with one empty frame. <laughs>
0: be powerful. Yeah. It'd be artistic. <laughs> Anyway, I do want to talk about Partridge because well, partly because Mid Morning Matters is possibly my favourite part of the the Partridge. Yeah, back that's catalogue. always weird. When and I've say that. I've obsessed over I am Alan Partridge and Knowing Me, Knowing You mm. in my uni days. But I just thought they were so good—just him broadcasting and Sidekick Simon there, just b- bouncing off each other. Yeah, I felt it was just such a good dynamic. It's, and it's a dynamic that went on into the film and on in in, in into this time so how was that to number one had the pressure of joining something that I'd imagine you were a fan of
1: oh uh, right. yeah this I'm the same as you
0: yeah yep that's how- my uh that was my favorite
1: stuff yeah uh, and it's sort of in a quite particular way as well where you, I, I used to like watching comedy and things um yeah right from from you know, quite a young age, I suppose. Yeah. Like the two Ronnies and things, and yep. and all of that. And then I suppose there was a bit after that where it was Fry and Laurie, and like those first things where you're watching it not with your parents. Yeah, it's your and, that, and they don't get it. Yeah. So that I think, although actually to be fair, they they enjoyed Fry and Laurie probably, but you know things like French and Saunders and Alexi Sales stuff. I remember all of that stuff, and then then that came along. And that was, um, yeah, that was a game changer. It really was. And there was so much of it. Yeah. And you're such, I was anyway, the perfect age for it. I'm guessing people could have been a bit younger and still got it. And I'm sure people who were at university when it all came out would have been absolutely delighted. Yeah. But I felt like I was in not a bad age for it because I guess I was, when um, Knowing Me, Knowing You came out on the radio, I was probably about 16, 15. Yeah. And then on the hours there, and then suddenly it all just sort of happened at the same time, in about a year or two, you had no me knowing you on telly, and then the day-to-day. So, yeah, it, and it wasn't just like watch you know a thing that you enjoyed watching, you're quoting
0: it and stuff. and So quotable. Yeah. Like, it was one of the first things for me that it felt like I could quote every line of every episode kind of thing yeah. of, of of the TV shows. But that was also the exciting thing that i'd never seen a character that kind of was doing the radio, and then knowing me and knowing you was completely different to I am Alan partridge and yeah. he seemed to constantly be there seemed to be so many variations of the same thing yeah it was just here's a new episode of the sitcom. no each incarnation was
1: was uh yeah reinventing the well there was a there was a very coherent world happening and yeah. a very coherent uh you could sort of see. Although it, it doesn't really make sense because in on the hour or the day-to-day, I suppose what you're asked to believe is that uh, that, that guy, that, that in the fictional world, some broadcaster or commissioner has spotted the, Alan Partridge yeah. and said, this guy needs his own show, <laughs> yeah. which couldn't really have happened because he, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't very really good at what he was doing on that yeah. show. Yeah. But you buy it and then he suddenly fronting a know me knowing you like a prime time saturday night tv show that wasn't on saturday night and you're buying all of that and then it goes into another world where he's now not talking to an audience and you see him in a in a travel lodge and and everything
0: millimeter perfect you know each each transition just perfect and so that no fat on the characters either. Like they're, they're, yeah. there's not an abundance of of extra characters. There's just everyone there is perfect. Yeah, for and what when is it went needed um, from them.
1: When it went to um, Alan Partridge, the just the supporting cast and everything is just like. Yeah. I don't think we'd seen Lynn before that. She no. just suddenly emerges as this kind of perfect, yeah. three dimensional, amazing character, um, and you know, and everyone really, yeah. you know. People working behind the reception. Yeah. You, you know, everyone's just fantastic. Uh, Michael obviously. Yeah. So that was that. And I hadn't started doing comedy, I don't think. Um, while that was all going on. And then that that was that. And then ten years later I'm asked to to do it. I didn't even audition, they just asked me if I wanted really? to
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing.
1: And then you're suddenly sat next to him so was there pressure yeah there was quite a lot actually i would have thought
0: what, was it a mixture though because it kind of came about first as if it was quite a throwaway thing as if it was i think it was a foster's thing that was on social media and stuff like that and then well, it became
1: it was a bigger it thing, was like it's? yeah
0: it was originally sponsored by foster and it went out on youtube
1: yeah but i think i probably yeah, maybe that did help but I think, really deep down, even without analysing it, you 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 do know that it's significant. You yeah. know that whether or not it'll, if it ends there, if it's if that's where its home is, that's because these guys are ahead of the curve and they know that that's where comedy is yeah. is heading towards. Yeah, that yeah, it's yeah, going to be yeah. on YouTube and it's going to be released at certain times of the week. But in actual fact, it went from there to Sky, I think, and yeah. they packaged two up and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure. I mean, I think I have talked about it quite a lot, but I feel like there was the 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 problem was the problem I had was that there was a lot of a lot of things happening together. That it wasn't just that I was suddenly working with Steve Coogan. Mm. It 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 made it more intense that I was working with Alan Partridge, and I don't think it really helped that it was a two-hander, or, or you know, there was always two or three in that little room. Yeah. And I don't really think it helped that it was all shot in a soundproof studio with no one else in there. So actually, it was kind of from a standing start, although I had met Steve a couple of times. It was more or less, right, in you go. And then you're in a room smaller than this. Yeah. With someone that uh, you're more in awe of than I am of you. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh,
0: <laughs> saying something. <laughs> but, but it's it, How was it then? Because it's only just occurred to me that you or sidekick Simon... Got to make the transition that Alan made from knowing me, knowing you, to I am Alan Park. Yeah, good point. By going from mid morning matters to Alpha Papa, where you were just here, we are doing our show. To suddenly now, the cameras, the audience isn't there or isn't listening. Yeah, yeah. and they're watching. How was that as a as a jump for the character and for you to be in the um, middle of that?
1: It was. Yeah it's interesting because I think by then I'd got used to that mid-morning matters which was which took some getting used to. Yeah. And also actually there was another moment of like the moment where it came out was interesting because you don't know what the reception will be. Mm. And you're also aware that you might ruin it. Yeah. And if it's if people don't like it then I mean it's best not to think about this sort of stuff but if people don't like it then Obviously, there'll be a lot of people who sort of think, well, probably is fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I remember that's such an understandable thought process, <coughs> yeah. though, because, again, it is that kind it of... It can't be his fault. It's so good, I don't... 50% of me would kill to be involved in it, and 50% yeah. wants to stay away from it because I don't want to ruin it.
1: Yeah, well, I never ha- I never had that thought of, yeah. like... You... Yeah, well, because it's, you can't. I
0: mean, No, you like... can't say no to... You... Yeah. To but going into Alan. the
1: film, that was like... Um, Uh, That was quite exciting, because that's like a film, but I don't know, I I think I probably preferred, on balance, the the next incarnation, which was the TV show, Yeah. Uh, just because, yeah, the scenes were all, there was sort of, obviously all kind of, there was a similarity between the scenes, it it was a kind of format show. You've
0: got your own world there, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it was a nightmare, because I'm not very, I'm a... there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. I'm not a real technically minded
0: person. Well, I was going to say the, the, the pressures of mid-morning m- matters for Tim Key are the same as the pressures for Sidekick Simon because he's not someone who's done radio before and is suddenly thrown into it. So it all gets to there's definitely, to mirror it. There's definitely that was happening and that, yeah. was, that was what made the acting less
1: of a stretch. Yeah. But I'm playing someone who cannot quite fathom why I'm there. Yeah. And, but wants um, to deliver. Yeah, I want to help this guy, <laughs> and uh, I'm sort of simultaneously in awe and um, you're just sort of not not repulsed, but like flabbergast, Constantly flabbergasted. Yeah, I'm kind of f- afraid for this guy. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's a gamut of emotions, really. But it's, it didn't. It never felt like a. And because Steve's so good at it. There's tons of most of my reactions are quite natural. Steve would get himself into a pickle as Alan, yeah, and I'm just like I'm just living it with him. <laughs> I'm just hoping he gets to the next link. I just want this yeah. guy to it's bare sometimes bare minimum i mean I, I know there's like two minutes of this still to go, and I'm hoping this guy doesn't get sacked yeah and then that sort of led into the um that led into the t v one where I just want to get through my bit, Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that feeling of anxiety, of when you're about to go on stage, of, like, trying to kind of um, regulate your breathing and just be relaxed and turn to an ice man so you can do your job properly. I found that that was what was happening in terms of what I was acting yeah. as that guy in that show where as soon as alan would say now we're going to go visit uh you know this funny guy and i'm like Oh jesus christ uh hating the idea yeah, hating hearing his fo- footsteps <laughs> walking up to me but yeah in in other news like the certainly the first day on that on that shoot I've watched them for an hour doing their stuff yeah. and then they come into my bit and I don't want to f- screw this up this yeah. is Alan Partridge from my childhood going back on the BBC and so there's me inside my character thinking yeah in other news I want to get this right Yeah, and it did actually take it wrong. definitely took a day because I remember on the way home I was thinking that's that was tough but it was really tough right. I think because there's so much going on it was the first day of filming
0: I think and it is, is a very different format and setup to yeah. both of the previous iterations. Again, yeah. that's what I thought was great about it was to put Alan in that the one show type thing and have yes, yeah, perfect. Have things it. go wrong. It's so perfect. I know. For I you.
1: remember when people were saying, "Are you in this new thing? What? What? What is the idea of it?" And you'd say, "Oh, it's Alan Partridge, but uh, someone's ill, so he's had to take over like the one show." Yeah, and everyone would just go. Oh, that's, that's
0: genius! It's gold, and
1: it is. It's like a perfect a perfect environment for him.
0: Yeah, I love it. I
1: don't know where he goes next, or you know what, you know whether he is ascending or descending. But every time he sort of stops off at a place on his ascent or descent, yeah, it's very well chosen. Mid Morning Matters was beautifully chosen. Yeah, a digital yeah. radio station. I agree. That's They're very perfect, clever in timing on it all. doing that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. So, 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 what's your plans kind of for you going? F- Forward within the TV kind of realm because is it planning to write stuff for yourself? I loved a wonder date. Yeah, I thought it was just I thought it worked so well. It was another one where it was or similar to how how this time was in places where I was just enjoy all the time, but you can't specifically say here was the joke, here was the gag. It was the whole the whole situation and the whole tone of everything that kind of Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: I love doing that. It's the same thing. Like worried that it, you know, mess it up or something, and I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm kind of doing that. I'm writing that, working out how that would work. Right. But I definitely don't want to talk about
0: that because I get myself <laughs> on a right pickle. Well,
1: let's. I mean, not I, don't know about what, I don't know how that's going to work. Let's.
0: Well, but, I mean, uh, this podcast originally came about when someone from the PR team of Greed. We're trying to set us up and then we couldn't make it work and then we just said we know each other why 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 is this happening so we don't want another wells on our hands do we (laughs) exactly so uh, again to explain the wells comedy festival a bit it's one of my favorite things because we would talked about you coming on the podcast then but then hadn't worked out and i'd kind of forgotten and then i was doing the show and i thought oh Tim's on, so I thought I'll go along to that. But because it was sold out, the guy promoting was like, "We'll stand at the side, yeah. and then when there's when everyone sat down, there'll be some spare seats." And then when you spotted me, I realised it looked like I'd just come (laughs) to stand and say, what's going on with the podcast? Yeah, I thought I was going to have to be interviewed. I thought I was going to have to make an announcement to the audience. I was just there to watch the show, and then you kind of, because you're there at the start, you kind of spot me, and there was a genuine panic and moment of, yeah, what the fuck are you doing here? Hello, what's going on? It was was
1: surprising. It was surprising to see Stuart Goldsmith the other side. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've surrounded him. All these we've, podcasters. We've got like the it X's Rich Wilson
0: marching down the middle. It was so funny. <laughs> and it just, again it hadn't struck me. Literally I was just watching like, Oh, there's two and then it literally yeah. it was only when your face turned slightly and went I was like Oh, this looks like Yeah. I'm here it's... to go. So are we doing this or not, mate? It just did... before you go on. It did feel that way. And also you've taken a couple of years to clear that up. <laughs> oh, <it> cracked me. <laughs> up. It slayed me. But yeah. um a couple of things. So it was, yeah, it was uh, going to be arranged around Greed, which, incidentally, you might be pleased to know that on your Wikipedia it says, in 2020, Tim Key um, is in the film Creed. Oh, does it? So I assume that's, that's, it's a typo. That's but I don't think I can be in Creed. I then, I are they make Creed. Are they, they do- are they
1: remaking Creed? They might be
0: doing a third, but yeah. I genuinely have panicked to the- did I miss Tim in Creed? Because I watched yeah. Creed. Thoroughly enjoyed Creed. Great film. There was um, who was the guy in that? The uh, there was a boxer in that, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Um, the Brooks, Scouts was lad, it? yeah, Kelbrook. Yeah, he was good in that. Yeah, he was was it was was fantastic. Yeah. good film. But you were in Creed. I was in Creed. Yeah, I really enjoyed Creed. Um, I thought it was great. There was, I felt it had. <clears throat> Who did I make? And I, I I couldn't remember the the director's name. But it oh, made, Michael Winterbottom. No, 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 not not Michael Winterbottom. He's obviously the director of this. But it's amazing. But the film made me think of the films of Ruben um, Uslans, who did yeah, *Force yeah. Majeure* and, <sighs> and 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 *The Square*, because it felt like there's multiple lives being lived at the same time, mm. and they seem at points jarring against each other. But then they all come together in a extreme or tragic moment or event and i loved that i thought it was great yeah that's one thing i'm not doing is writing anything like greed yeah or the square or force majeure
1: yeah that would be difficult to get your head around yeah these yeah. are written by people who've got quite big brains they're
0: quite amazing i mean it's uh, and that, a thing that i noted was greed it's got a lot of huge <coughs> names in it a lot of famous people playing themselves mm. but you were playing a character yeah I was, what was <laughs> yeah why is that did, did they not want to have Tim Key at the party, hanging out with, yeah, with or sending weird, a message like Chris Martin you know sends a I'm message a global, in it?
1: Am I not a global superstar? That's that's weird. It does feel like I am in this uh, room.
0: <laughs> How was that to be part of? Because I said I oh, thought your character in it, yeah. you just had to get angry a lot and sh- it, it was it was so different from what sidekick Simon does the yeah. only reason I make the comparison in case anyone doesn't <laughs> know is it's Steve Coogan is, is, yeah, is, is the lead
1: well I found that this, actually there was definitely a similarity between that and the Partridge stuff in that again obviously I really like Michael Winterbottom films yeah and so um, again you don't want to sort of arrive on set and um, ruin um, his day and the film so it and again it took me a, a day I think or a scene to sort of yeah, it's it's interesting. You do a scene and you're like, okay, I I think I want to, I think I want to do better than that, really. Yeah. And so the next day, I think I did another scene, or maybe there's a couple of days later because it was all set in Greece, so we were in Greece for a bit. Because mm. uh, obviously they can't like fly us backwards and forwards, so you're just sort of there waiting to do your stuff. And then the second time, uh, it was all it was all fine. They had a guy. My character is setting up he's in charge of a uh what are those things called um a coliseum Coliseum. or an amphitheater So, yeah we're building an amphitheater yeah and i'm there with my greek foreman and uh you get to shout at a lot and really i I read the script and i like i like the script but obviously i'm interested to know who this greek foreman is played by because all my scenes are just 2 handers with this greek foreman so i was sort of interested to find out when i got there that they'd um they'd hired the greek foreman who built the actual Coliseum, Michael Winterbottom had, you know... I mean, I think that's sort of the way these guys work, is they're sort of... They're such geniuses that they kind of don't really need to sort of cast. They just sort of look at a Greek foreman and say, yeah, you'll be fine in the film. Yeah, and that's amazing. So it's quite interesting, because you sort of think, oh, well, I wonder if... And he hadn't done any acting. He want, And you sort of think, oh, I hope that goes well. And my favourite thing about that film was my Greek foreman... Who was just absolutely—he was fantastic, yeah—and he was just inch perfect the way he was playing it. He was playing himself. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. it was a Greek
0: Greek Foreman playing a Greek Foreman, yeah. Um, but he did it with—he uh, he did it perfectly. It's going to sound weird, but did that make it easier for you to get into your character? Yeah, because he's did. really him. So fa- you found have to then really... suddenly be really you, if you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I found it really. Yeah, it was a very comforting relationship and uh
0: because there's no cut and then he stops being who he's being because he's literally being who he is so
1: yeah he, yeah and he's very it <laughs> he was a very enigmatic guy and that was what yeah so he was allowed to do that on camera yeah as in like that was perfect for his part the problem was he's building this colosseum, and he's enigmatic so he's like a bit vague about stuff and he's like yeah you know it'll be yeah we'll get it done don't worry and my character is going. We need to get this done, and getting more and more uh, irate with him. And uh, yeah, he's sort of equally phlegmatic in real life. At one point, I asked him if he was going to go to the rap party because I, I wasn't sure really because him and his all the other guys were his builders. So right, I thought, oh, right. You might be yeah. going off, and he just looked at me and said, "Yeah, I'm DJing." <laughs> <laughs> Of course you are. <laughs>
0: I've got to ask how the rap party was. Now was oh, it? Oh, the
1: rap party was fantastic. <laughs> good DJ. Well, there was a lot of um, again because of the nature of the film, they um, they cast a lot of Syrian refugees, yeah, who were Syrian refugees, and so wow, the, yeah that was the sort of the the sort of the the centre point of the um, of the rap party was just a lot of Syrian refugees, just Steve Coogan just dancing with a eight year old i love it oh it was amazing it was like such a such a fun rap party yeah
0: i love it so how is your your relationship with coogan then for going from that initial you've been cast without an audition which can be scarier i I was discussing this the other day Mm. i i've had stuff before where i've been offered a role and i've wanted to say or i have said is it all right if i Tape. right because i want I, I want you to know that i'm right rather than just here you go you've got it it's like, i don't know what you want from do you know what i mean i want to make yeah. sure you know where i'm going i'm, I'm going in the right direction yeah. so from that initial you're just being thrown in a room with partridge to the relationship must be good as it's extended through partridge and into into greed
1: yeah so, uh, yeah he's i like I, I i like steve he's great and he's also <clears throat> you know i i think he's I think he likes what I do. Mm. I think, I think, yeah. in in the show and stuff. But then I, I, he also comes and watches my shows and yeah. things. So he, he and he's very very generous with it, with um, his time and with you know he's he's very kind to, uh, about about what I do. And I've got you
0: know obviously a begrudging respect for him. So it all sort of <laughs> yeah. it, it all works out quite well. How is it performing your show now in that? Yeah, that's in the crowd? Well,
1: it's it means not difficult. I mean, as in. Firstly, I'm kind of quite, I'm always quite touched that he comes, but I don't know, because it's, I don't think he's ever come and watched me do 20 minutes or anything like that, so he's watching me do my show and, you know, usually that means I'm sort of in my element. Yeah. And so if it's going all right and we're sort of 20 minutes in, I always think it's quite a good thing that he's in there. I might catch him laughing and I think, well, you sort of get used to it. But you, you sort of also don't quite get used to it. You do sort of think, I well, "This it. is insane." You know, you, there is an element of that. Steve Coogan is watching my show, and he's laughing. And also, I work with him. It's all a bit. It's a bit much. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, no, he's very good. And but on set, it's uh, there. There is definitely a. Um, it's interesting on set. I mean it because of the nature of the shows that he's in he is the show so yeah. i'd imagine that's like quite a it's quite a full on thing he's in a very specific place when i'm when i'm working with him yeah he's doing his show and i imagine in his mind he wants to make his show as good as possible so it's kind of quite a professional relationship um but pretty relaxed on set and then and the times where you know we've gone out at the end of a show or whatever He's very convivial, enjoyable company. Yeah, I love it. I mean, in Greece, it was a different situation because he wasn't wasn't his film. Right. Again, it's he's like carrying the film because he's the lead. Yeah. But he hasn't written it, and it's not you know he's not it's not his company making it. Yeah. So he's slightly more relaxed, and is you know can maybe be found uh, taking the
0: papers. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, so I'll I'll wrap things up just by asking kind of a what's ahead? You're returning to the fringe. Oh, I'll get you my get. Gi- I'll get you your gift. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Exciting. <coughs> this is your gift.
1: This
0: is very exciting. <coughs> oh yeah. Tim Key's poetical playing. Card. Yeah, this is what's happening. It's yeah. exciting. R- yeah, rip them open. I mean, it's that, gonna be. They're delicate,
1: delicate b- with it. it. Yeah, it have to be a bit, but.
0: So how's this come about? Because so on stage you, you you have all your poems. If people don't know, we kind of discussed it earlier as if they do, but you, you have your poems on playing cards yeah. in your pocket.
1: Yeah, it's a development from the last few years where... Oh,
0: this is beautiful.
1: Yeah, I've started writing them on, on playing cards, uh, partly because it's sort of more easier to organise and more disposable. So I just read them and just sling them down. Um, and then in other news, I... Um, started working with a lady called Emily Juniper. Yes. who She made this poster, which was for That's my last new, show. Yeah, yeah she's Great. fantastic. So, she, And her kind of... Um, what she does is she's got a company called Utter and Press, and so she makes uh, visual interpretations of live work. Wow. And so we had uh, breakfast together and thought, well, we've got to do something. And then this felt like a very... Um, was staring us in the face, a pack of playing cards designed beautifully by her, with my poems on them, and that's what I've just given you there. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so she's the uh, she's done all of the design, and I've done all the words. They're beautiful looking. Yeah, so are these available? As...
0: Yeah, they are now. <clears throat> yeah, so that's fantastic because yeah. it's the perfect. It's it. It feels like that's how your poems should. It's how people have seen them on stage, Yeah. so it feels like such a natural. As you said, it is staring you in the face as soon yeah, as you. Yeah,
1: it's quite a funny you realise thing. And, it. and, and it, it sort of took me meeting her, where she comes at it with a specific. Well, I mean, her design is beautiful, but she's like has a sort of sensibility about it all, and also, you know, she's just so excited about. Uh, it's quite evangelical about the idea of it being a book, yeah, not a book, yeah, and uh, it's and it's right, you know, it's like. It's a bit shorter than a book, I think, but I'd always sort of i've, I've had a couple of books of the poems, and I was sort of I still do have my eye on making a short, a smaller book, because I like the idea of a book where you can put it into your pocket, yeah and just you know dip into it on the tube uh, uh, because I like doing that yeah. with, with other people's books, and so the, the last book I made of the poems was like quite a big, hard bag, and then when it distilled down to a paper bag, it's still pretty big. And so I thought, I still do think a little book, a ditty little book, would be nice. Yeah. But the cards is kind of like a secret. Uh, I love it. Passage into that in that they're they're even smaller. I, can't, I don't know whether you can sort of read them on the tube, but you sort of can, and you can sort of dip in and dip out of them. But also they're like really nice playing cards. You can play with them. Yeah. I mean they've got they've got some heft.
0: Yeah. They're amazing quality f- f- from the the packet. To of cards themselves. Well, they should be. They're seventy pounds a pack. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. It's <laughs> quite expensive. How, how much are they? Fifteen, 15 pounds. Fifteen pounds. is a, bargain actually, yeah. For a, a yeah, a limited. Edition, edition, edition as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're just making another thousand now. So, um, yeah, yeah. They're they're they'll be on sale. I think by the time this goes out.
0: How excited will, will you be if you ever see someone pull one out? Yeah. on the tube. Pull one or,
1: out. <laughs> I'm always excited. I love that sort
0: of stuff. <laughs> I know it's unfashionable. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I mean a playing card as well. Uh, if um, I saw, well, actually, if you so, saw someone, I
1: remember it's like it's open. It's totally, um, <laughs> it's it's uh, seared into my into my retina. I was in Edinburgh and about maybe about ten years ago, and I was just watching a show, and the show hadn't started yet and a girl two rows in front of me was just waiting for the show to start and she pulled my book out of her bag oh, and started reading it and i'm just looking at that thinking that is fantastic yeah so uh if i
0: saw someone pulling out the tube yeah <laughs> i'd salute them <laughs> of course you would so um yeah new fringe show and <laughs> wrap things up yeah <clears throat> Yeah. Where can people get the cards and uh, where can, can people follow you? Oh, so they can follow me
1: on uh, Instagram is the best place. Yes, uh, which is at Timkey Poet, and then the, the cards. There's a link to the cards, and then there's a uh, there'll be an album as well of my radio show. Yeah, a vinyl. Wicked. Which, oh wow! So we'll let people know about that. But that I think that comes out in on Record Store Day, which Amazing. is April 18th. Yeah, that's in, that's that's the type of guy you are.
0: Yeah. You're it's the type weird, of guy who
1: knows Record Store Day. I, I, When's Mother's Day? <laughs>
0: no idea. <laughs> 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 well, what better note to yeah, end yeah. things on? Yeah. <laughs> is, is there anything else you'd like to tell the people? No, about? I, I don't mind. think so. I think at the end I was, was like a
1: flurry of plugs. Back. I
0: don't think... No, I think that might be it. Well, people you can know. follow you and keep up to date on everything anyway. So thank you very much. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Oh, I didn't great. have to come to any more of your shows and stand no, and yeah. stare yeah, at yeah. you. can stand down for my shows now. I, don't want, <laughs> I don't know if I ever see you in one of my shows again. We've done our podcast. <laughs> I'll be like round two, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Round two. Yeah. I'll stand there and step aside and Rich Wilson will be behind me. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's next. He's yeah. They're coming after me. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. You've been listening to Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Tim Key. It was quite a long chat and an even longer intro. Or not a longer intro, but a longer intro than normal. So I will keep the outro brief. Not sure what's coming out next week, uh, but it'll be something. Uh, (laughs) Uh, At some point, I'm going to be chatting with the hosts of the mum and mama podcast which is the great new chart topping podcast on the distraction pieces network so that might be next week um i'm going to do an ask pip at some point and i've got a few other things potentially in the pipeline so yes thank you all for tuning in um and i will see you next week protein mouse bless